0: Welcome to That Said. I am Michael Zeldin. On today's show, we will speak with Brian Stelter, author of Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News, and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth. This is part one of our two-part interview with Brian. Brian is the chief media correspondent for CNN Worldwide and anchor of CNN's Reliable Sources, which examines the week's top media stories every Sunday. Before joining CNN, Brian was the media reporter at the New York Times. Welcome to That Said, Brian, nice to see you. You too, thank you. So this is a fascinating book on so many different levels. You can read it as a relationship between Trump and Sean Hannity. You can read it as a history of um, cable television. You can can read it as a history of, of, of America in many ways. I'd like to start Brian with the history of Fox. It's launched in in 96 by Rupert Murdoch and 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 Roger Ailes yeah. to be essentially a counterpoint to what they felt was a liberal biased media um programming set. So talk a little bit about the 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 early years of Fox. What was what was it that Murdoch and and Isles were, 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 were trying to do, and how did and,
1: and did they succeed? They were bringing more diversity to the media landscape, which is a good thing. And there's a lot that I think is admirable about Fox and its founding uh, and its purpose. Um, of course, there's also a lot about Fox that is uh, very disturbing. Uh, Roger Ailes' behavior behind the scenes, preying on staffers who worked there. And this blurring of the lines between news and opinion and now this straight up propaganda on Trump's behalf. But in the 90s, it was very different. You know, one of the, the, my favorite facts that I learned when working on this book is that uh, in the 90s, there were shows on Fox News like Pet News. It was a weekend show. You could call in and ask questions about your cat. And, and you know, like, it just goes to show that it wasn't all about politics back then tv news was not as politics obsessed as it is now so fox news clearly launched to provide more diversity to provide a, a right-wing point of view to be a conservative balance to what Ailes believed was a left-leaning media and of course there were some elements of truth to that you know you think about the the big network news rooms in the 1980s or the 1990s yes you know there was a liberal bent to some of the news coverage journalists worked hard to keep that out of the coverage but there was a bent. And, um, you know, so I understand what they were doing. It makes sense. It was a logical move by Rupert and by Ailes. Uh, But over time, the channel has become, um, uh, it's moved from being conservative to conspiratorial. And we can get into how it's changed over the years.
0: Yeah. And and I'd like to do that. And I I should say, and and you and I have talked about this before, that in this 1996 to say 2001-ish period I, I appeared regularly on Fox. Okay. I was a, a regular guest on what was then called Hannity and Combs, which was a sort of crossfire styled show. Alan Combs was a liberal Democrat radio host, and he was teamed with Sean Hannity, the conservative radio host. And I would be representing a point of view that Sean Hannity cross-examined and Alan Combs would cross-examine the the, the other guest, And, then I would also go to Crossfire and be yeah. grilled by Pat Buchanan or, 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 or Robert Novak. And, 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 and there was really no, in my mind as, as, the, as legal talent, there was no
1: distinction between mm. those two shows. But then I think, I think you just hit on how Fox has changed. Back then it was Hannity and Collins, Hannity and Alan Collins. And then right around the time of Barack Obama's election, Alan Colmes was kicked out. He played it nice in the press at the time, but he was given a radio show and told to go off to radio. And the show became just Hannity. And I think that is actually the best symbol of how Fox News has changed. It's gone from being a left-right debate all the way to being Hannity's propaganda hour. Yeah,
0: and it's interesting because during that time when I, when I was on, we were talking about um, Lewinsky Clinton right. impeachment, and then into um, Gore v. Bush, and during yeah. that whole period, again, it had a conservative bent to it, but it was portraying the news as it was taking place. I would get examined about whether Monica Lewinsky, Lewinsky was believable or not, whether Bill Clinton was believable or not. S- same sort of thing. I, I sort of think, and I, I'd like your thoughts about this, Brian. Before we get to two thousand and eight. Um, which is, I think, a real seismic shift in in the show. Around two thousand one, nine eleven, two thousand three, Iraq War. I think you begin to see the the beginnings of what manifests itself in in oh eight.
1: How do you how do you see? I think this? that's true. Yes, I mean, look, two thousand one is when Fox News uh, takes off like a ratings rocket ship. And, and that is because of 9-11 and the aftermath of 9-11 as the country went to war in Afghanistan and started to point toward an invasion of Iraq. Fox News became number one, a uh, wrapped around the flag type of programming, uh, cheering on the American uh, people and cheering on the Amer- American troops in ways that CNN and MSNBC had to react to. And all of a sudden, there's a flag on the corner of CNN's screen because of Fox. So Fox becomes number one in the ratings and never looks back. It's been number one ever since. And I think the pressures to remain number one and appeal to the right-wing base and to prey on the the worst impulses of conservative viewers, um, you start to see that happening in the Bush years for sure. Katrina, for example, swamps New Orleans, the levees fail, and Fox had some great reporters on the scene, Shepard Smith, Gerardo Rivera, but Ailes quickly moves the coverage to make it about America's challenge, a very pro-Bush, rah, rah, we're all in this together sort of message, instead of coverage of the government's awful failures. So it's yeah. always being spun. It's always being twisted to benefit the Republicans. And that becomes more obvious uh, from the Bush years, to the Obama years, to the Trump years. Yeah. And so I, I agree with that. And I, I, and the way I see it was back
0: in that day, they were pro America pro-Republican um and and you know decidedly anti-Clinton um but then when Obama comes it almost seems as if they've they de-emphasize the pro-America um and overemphasize emphasize the anti-Obama and and they really become the anti-Obama network um uh and I was wondering what and they and I think you've used the term or the Harvard, when I was up there, used to use this term called a social movement orchestrator. And it it seems sort of like that what was going on. I wonder if you could talk to that a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's what the Tea Party was with Fox. Fox was the social movement orchestrator for the Tea Party by promoting Tea Party rallies, by sending top talent to the rallies, by saying, hey, be a part of this thing. This is happening. We're all a part of it together, live on Fox News. And the Tea Party, of course, is a very clear uh, foreshadowing of the Trump years and what Fox is going to become. I think it is clear that Fox is more anti-Democrat than it is pro-Republican. And when you're deciding whether to book a guest on Fox, when you're deciding whether to book a candidate on Fox, you got to know what it is. It's more anti-Democrat than it is pro-Republican. And I say that because when the news is really, really bad for Trump, they just don't talk about it. They talk about Democrats instead. They talk about Joe Biden instead. We see that today with some dirt about Biden that published by Murdoch's New York Post. That is the playbook. It works incredibly well. And it means Fox wins either way, right? Fox wins if there's a, a Republican in power or a Democrat in power, because they're telling a, a really compelling story to their viewers either way. They have an extraordinary monopoly on their audience, unlike anything else in TV news. CNN viewers flip around a lot and MSNBC viewers flip around some. Fox viewers are much more loyal. And that's partly because of the Bush years and the Obama years and the Tea Party, all of these almost like building blocks along the way to the Trump years.
0: Yeah. And uh, last um, episode of, of this um, conversations, we talked with John Dean and and in his book on um, authoritarianism. And, and we asked the question or he asked the question in his book, who are the Trump voters? And he described them as sort of alienated, frightened um, Strangers in their own land is is the book title that 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 that, that comes up a lot when you think about that. Yeah. Susceptible to to a message because they've been told you don't know who to believe is how, how does that how does that manifest itself in in terms of the audience share that they continue to retain.
1: Yeah, I love the book Strangers in Their Own Land by Arlie Hochschild because she gets to this idea that Fox is more than a cable channel. She interviewed Tea Party supporters in Louisiana and found Fox was almost like an institution in Louisiana, right next to City Hall, right next to the senior center, right next to the local government, where Fox was was bigger than a channel. It was a it was an organizer. It was a community center It was a way of life and identity. um, Because Obviously, many Republican viewers have been told for decades not to trust the rest of the media. They've been told not to trust Tom Brokaw and Dan Rather and Katie Couric and then uh, Nora O'Donnell and Diane Sawyer. You know, for decades this has been going on. Don't trust the mainstream media. Trust Rush Limbaugh and Fox instead. And that has come home. You know, we're seeing the results of that in many ways with Trump and Fox in this present day. Um, I think that uh, you know the idea that uh, there's alienation, there's polarization. Obviously, there are a lot of reasons for this. And one reason is self-inflicted wounds by the media, uh, a media that's too concentrated in New York and D.C. Obviously, there are real flaws in the American uh, national news media. And those have been exploited by these folks on the right who say don't trust a word that is reported. And and that's where the breakdown really happens. Be skeptical. Sure. I think if, if Rush Limbaugh were on the radio every day saying be skeptical, that's fair. But he's on the radio hurling insults, making juvenile attacks. Uh, claiming the rest of the media is made up and that is a a root problem uh, that's obviously much bigger than Trump and it's going to be with us long past Trump and Fox takes advantage of it. I like to say Michael Fox is a 24-hour ad for Fox. Uh, All the programming is telling you don't turn the channel, don't look up anything else, stay with us and I think it's very different at CNN and MSNBC. Obviously we want people to watch but um, there's an encouragement of a healthy vibrant diverse media diet. And on Fox, it's different. Sean Hannity's message is journalism is dead. It's out to get you. They're trying to hurt you. It's a hoax. And I think that's a very poisonous, corrosive message.
0: Yeah, and and it. I think you say it right when you say it. Therefore, becomes sort of a way of life. It's a place where right. people feel comfortable. Their 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 core values, whatever they may be, uh, are not threatened. No one is challenging them. They get to retain their black and white. view of the world, this us against them. And Fox promotes that narrative uh, again and and again uh, through their opinion people. I mean, we should say, we should say in fairness, well, Shepard Smith is gone and um, Megyn Kelly is gone, but Brett Baer is still there. And Mike Wallace is still there. I don't know if Brit Hume shows up now and then, but those guys are, relatively speaking, serious journalists. Um, But they're completely the stepchildren of, of where, the, where the main part of the business model for Fox's success lies. Well, the, the big
1: reason why I wrote Hoax is because I was hearing from so many of those journalists who were confiding in me. And sometimes people say to me, you know, why, why is a CNN guy getting all these sources from Fox? Well, it's because I'm at CNN. It's because I'm in TV. So I understand TV. I understand ratings. I understand having to put on the makeup. Like I get the pressures of television. And that is why so many people at Fox, I think, were willing to talk to me and confide in me and say, you know, Brian, this channel, I loved this channel. You know, we're out to try to balance the rest of the media. And that's a good thing. But we've fallen over. We've gone off the rails. And I was hearing that from so many journalists at Fox to the point where I was like, I got to write all this down, put it in a book. Um, There are at least a dozen examples in the book of journalists, who left during the Trump years from Megan Kelly and Shep Smith and a bunch in between because they felt the channel had gone sideways, had gone too much in this propaganda lane. And you know, when you're, when you're a reporter at Fox, let's say you're on daytime, you get to do a live shot at 2 PM in front of 2 million viewers. But then at 8 PM or 9 PM, the primetime guys have twice the audience and they are contradicting what you're saying and they are undermining your real reporting every single night. So it's no wonder why some of them decide to leave the network. So it's true, there are great journalists there, but I think they've been suffocated in the Trump years. And that's partly, I mean, to be honest, it's partly because of what the audience wants and expects. 5 p.m. Eastern Time is a show called The Five. Five commentators, four of them usually right wing, one left wing. And that is a huge blockbuster hit show on Fox News. Three, four million viewers a night. Then Brett Baier comes on. Like you said, Brett Baier, the signature evening newscast on Fox News, the DC anchor, the leader of the DC Bureau, he comes on and a million plus viewers all turn the channel because they they want the opinion. They don't want the news. And those viewers come back at eight for Tucker and they stay for Hannity at nine. They stay for Laura Ingraham at 10. Increasingly, Fox's audience doesn't want to hear the news. They want to hear the propaganda. Or, or what they would say is the real news, right? They would say that Sean Hannity lying to them about unmasking is the real news. Um, but that creates this incredible conflict between, let's say, Brett Baer and Sean Hannity. It creates this incredible conflict that there's nothing like it at CNN, right? There's no part of CNN that's going on and lying to the viewers about what they heard earlier in the day. It just doesn't happen. It wouldn't be allowed to happen. But at Fox, it is allowed to happen. Sorry for going off on,
0: on on a tangent. No, 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 no. It's 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 terrific. I, I want to uh, because of the uh, we have to be mindful of of the time, and so much of the book is is devoted to the 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 feedback loop between yeah. uh, the 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 current administration and Fox. I'd like to begin to pivot to that um, yeah. a bit, and but I'd like to not start with Trump, the the president. I'd like you to start with Trump the morning call in <laughs> Monday's Monday's with Donald and tell yes. tell, us, tell us about that and tell us you know so not only what what was that show about but how do you think it educated Trump as he fast forwards
1: to 2015 and, and, and his announcement
0: to run for president
1: I think this is key to understanding how Trump was elected. I know The Apprentice was important, but I think Trump calling to Fox and Friends was more important because he was calling in once a week, uh, getting educated about what Fox's viewers cared about, what the GOP base cared about. Uh, by answering questions from the, star, the, the hosts, by uh, listening to the talking points, he was learning about the Republican Party and about the Fox base. And so when he came down the escalator, he already had the Fox base with him, Thanks to his weekly phone calls on Fox and Friends Plus, his regular appearances on Bill O'Reilly, his friendship with Sean Hannity, his friendship with other stars on Fox. He was the Fox candidate. And because Fox is the GOP party on television as a monopoly, uh, he was the, the number one uh, candidate from the day he entered the race. I think it also is a foreshadowing of what may happen in the post-Trump presidency years. Whatever happens in the election, if Trump loses, he may well just go back to that model. The guy who calls in all the time, or the guy who wants his own show—he, um, you know, it, it may be an echo of what we saw in, in 2011, 2012,
0: 2013. Yeah. So what was interest What struck me as interesting uh, when I read the book and I went back and then watched the videotape. Yeah. Um, so Trump is calling in every morning. He's got a segment essentially on on, on Fox in, in in the morning, and he's and he's uh, calibrating. Who am I talking to? and 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 what do they want to hear and what do i want to uh, what can i learn from that you know he he is capable of understanding those things um with 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 you know great alacrity um and what I struck me when i read the book and i watched the videotape of him coming down the golden um <laughs> escalator was yeah. his the rambling um uh, diatribe was really almost like a rundown of, of, of a Fox news show.
1: I mean, he hit, he so hit it, all it really yeah. was. Yeah. So go talk, talk us about it. Talk, talk Not only about. was it, it was in Greg Gutfeld, who's a star on Fox pointed this out that day. I went back and watched all of Fox from the day Trump entered the race and Greg Gutfeld said, Trump came down the escalator and he did, uh, our show. He did the fives rundown. The rundown is the list of the segments you're going to do on a TV show. We, he did our show. He did Bo Bergdahl and immigration and Benghazi. Like tr- Trump literally went out there as a Fox News commentator. And that's what was so effective in the primary. And he consolidated support. Not everybody at Fox was with him right away. There were a lot of anti-Trump people at Fox. But they saw the direction that the GOP was heading. Most of them decided to get on the Trump train for one reason or another. And the ones who couldn't stomach it, they left. You know, Megyn Kelly being a very public example of leaving.
0: Yeah. And and so and when I speak to John Dean, what John Dean says is what what surprised him was that Trump, no matter what he does, has this solid 41% uh, vote. It might drop drop to 39, it may rise to 44. But it was it seemed to me that during this period, he is consolidating that. Base as a TV call-in guy, as a as a shadow uh, producer, and then he just
1: exports them with him into politics. <laughs> Absolutely, and the, these these the lack of difference between entertainment and news versus politics versus the White House. You know, there isn't that kind of barrier, and so he can export them. It can go back and forth, and it does go back and forth. Hang on one second. Let me this so it's in. I'm getting FaceTime, there we go. Um, I think that uh, it is crucial to understanding Trump's support. Um, When you watch Fox and Friends in the morning, you watch Hannity at night, and you keep Fox on during the day with the volume off or something, but you see the banners, you see the guests, you get a sense of the country that is very different uh, than what you're getting from any other news source. You're getting a sense of the president as the conquering hero, slaying his villains, Every day, there's a new villain, whether it's Dr. Fauci or CNN, or you know, there's all of these villains, and Trump is winning, and the others are losing. That is the the core deep story Fox is telling, and I can understand why it's very appealing. Like I can understand why it's a very appealing story, even though it's not rooted in reality.
0: Yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk about the 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 feedback loop and um, the relationship between Trump. And and Hannity, because I don't think yeah. in history we've any we've seen anything that approximates it. We know right. that journalists and politicians have had close relationships. John Kennedy had very close relationships with the media, though they fought. They still had very. I mean, though media would come to Kennedy's, he would cultivate them. They were they were mm-hmm. friends, uh, and and the New York Times editorial pages were informed by politicians and, and, and vice versa, but this relationship seems markedly different. So tell us, tell us about the relationship. How did it, you know, yeah. how did, we talked a little bit about how it came to pass, but how is it operating? Let's pull the curtain back a little bit on on what is the Hannity-Trump relationship.
1: Yeah, it's more intense, more frequent than, than the ones you're describing in the past. There are certainly examples of coziness and collusion between presidents and media personalities in the past, columnists for newspapers, but never have you had a situation where Hannity's on the phone with Trump before his 9 p.m. show, and then on the phone again with Trump after his 9 p.m. show, and they're reviewing the guests from that night, and they're talking about talking points and themes for tomorrow. You know That is a a kind of snake eating its tail we haven't seen before. When Trump needs a friendly space to talk, he calls into Hannity's show. He gets 45 minutes. It's no coincidence that on the night Trump by the way, this is interesting. Trump lied to Hannity that night. Remember two weeks ago, two weeks ago tomorrow, uh, Trump has tested positive for COVID using the fast test. He's getting the more um, uh, uh, more accurate test. He's waiting for the result. He calls into Hannity, they talk about COVID. Trump says he's about to get tested. He kind of lies by not admitting that he already had a positive test result, but he says he's about to get tested. He's waiting for the result. Um, that's how he started to message about COVID. He, he, he made it sound like no big deal. He downplayed the disease, even as he was waiting for his own test result. And he did it all on Hannity's show. And a week later, who does he call afterwards when he's ready to get on the phone again? Ria Romo and Sean Hannity. It is that kind of coziness that is uh, unprecedented. In fact, Trump hasn't really done a real interview with a non Fox star ever since he was sick with COVID. He is going to be on NBC tomorrow night with Samuel and Guthrie. That'll be a real interview. Um, but mostly he's just called his friends you know, Sean Hannity, Maria, Mark Levin. Um, it's, it's great. It's like that who wants to be a millionaire, right? The phone-a-friend feature. Trump has the world's biggest phone-a-friend. He can always call them and rely on them. And it's what their viewers expect, right? Hannity's viewers want him to be slavishly loyal to the president. Um, so even though Hannity in private is complaining about Trump sometimes, saying Trump's acting crazy, he's a run-on sentence, um, Hannity does not share that point of view on air. Yeah. And
0: you, you describe in the book... In this feedback loop, you 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 say that Trump, in some sense, is the shadow executive producer of the Hannity show, and yeah. Hannity is in some sense, some sense the shadow chief of staff in in the White House. And and yeah. and 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 you and you talk about the the onset of the coronavirus um, and how that story was portrayed on 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 Fox and how the president picked up on it. I think it. And I think, if I read correctly, it's from that discussion comes the title "Hoax" um, yeah. uh, for you, for your book. So tell tell the our listening audience, if you will, about the the origins of hoax and 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 uh, using the coronavirus perhaps as a indicator of the types of things that happen during this feedback loop relationship that we have just touched upon.
1: It's hard to tell where Fox ends and Trump begins. It's hard to tell where Fox ends and Trump begins and vice versa. Uh, Trump wakes up, turns on Fox and Friends, hears ideas and talking points, he tweets them out. And, he's, and, and so in that way, Fox is setting the agenda for policy decisions and personnel changes on, uh, in the Trump White House. Um, and, and that's why, ultimately, I argue that Fox is bigger than Trump. Um, yes, obviously, Trump has federal government and the nuclear football but Fox is feeding him a poisoned information diet. And I wouldn't have written about this if his information diet was really high quality and he was getting all the best information and he was getting only um, only rigorously vetted journalism from Fox, like there'd be no story then. That'd be a good thing. But instead he often gets misinformed by Fox. He gets poisoned and and diluted and confused information from Fox and then he runs with it. And and look, I think the pandemic is sadly the best example. This book was gonna be called Wingmen. Originally, it was going to be wingmen because Trump has all these wingmen at Fox News. Uh, and then the pandemic um, changed all of our lives. And uh, I was trying to finish this book, obviously needing to add pandemic material to the beginning and the end. And my editor said that this book is hoax. It should be called hoax. This story is about a hoax. And and the reason she said that is at the end of February, uh, Trump went out to that rally in, 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 I think, South Carolina. I forget where. Uh, and said... Um, he said, this is the Democrats' new hoax. And what he meant was the Democrats were politicizing the virus. They were taking the virus too seriously, raising the alarms, trying to hurt Trump with it. He didn't technically call the virus a hoax, but he gave people permission to ignore it or downplay the threat. And Fox was definitely downplaying the threat. Um, there's a lot of blame to go around in late February, right? I mean, I'm in New York City. This is the this is the room where I wrote most of the book. You know, I heard all the sirens outside in March and April. Every New Yorker heard all the sirens. We'll never forget it. There's a lot of blame to go around for what went wrong in this city and for what went wrong across the country. But Fox had the biggest TV platform, and Trump had the biggest megaphone of all. So what they were saying in February February, March mattered a lot. Um, so Trump calls it a hoax Then in February. March 9th, Hannity on TV also calls it a hoax. Again, the, calling the Democrats Politics. I hate that word, Politicizing, uh, politicizing, that's easier for me to say. They were accusing the Democrats of politicizing the virus, but by doing that, Hannity was downplaying the threat of the virus. Both Trump and Hannity were treating it like a political story and not a medical story. Uh, now, of course, Hannity says he always took the virus seriously and he had Fauci on, he had doctors on. And yes, it is true, you can find videos that show that there was some high quality coverage of various days of Hannity's show. But there was also this narrative on Fox of it's a political story. The virus is being overblown. How could it be much worse than the flu? This was the storyline until March 13th. And it is no coincidence that both Trump and Fox changed their tone on the virus on March 13th. Of course, by then, thousands of New Yorkers were sick. People across the country were sick. Um, the country was left wide open to this, 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 this uh, plague. And, um, and I think a lot of that comes down to this rhetoric of downplaying, of using terms like hoax, To downplay the virus, but you know, obviously, I want to be clear. Yes, a lot of there's a lot of blame to go around, a lot of responsibility to go around, but um, but that downplaying by Fox clearly had an impact. Yeah, and what's interesting
0: to me is when you read Woodward's book, and you learn that on January the 28th, Trump is told that this virus is as deadly as it is, and it's an airborne thing, and you just breathe it, and there's no flu that's anything like it. And then Trump on February 9th, I think, tells Woodward, the same thing, given the relationship between Trump and hannity it's almost impossible for me to believe that Trump wasn't telling Hannity the same thing mm,
1: that's
0: and, very and, interesting. And, and 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 assuming that hypothetical is true and I can't imagine it's not the portrayal of the disease as they portrayed it is criminal to me that they could. In good conscience, talk about it the way they did, politicize it the way they did, knowing what they did. And I was wondering what your what your thoughts are.
1: Is the is the counter argument to that that we don't want to go down the road of criminalizing television news coverage? No, I don't mean criminal. Do right, yeah, right,
0: and I don't mean criminal in a prosecutable sense. I just mean, I should say, immoral.
1: More a more a moral yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. Like, Here's here's what really gets me, you know, thinking about end of February, early March. By the end of February, there are hand sanitizer stations all around Fox News headquarters, uh, non-essential travels being restricted. Uh, the bosses are starting to plan for working from home. How are we going to have anchors work from home if we need to? All of that is in motion by the beginning of March. And I wish the talent had stopped and smelled the Purell. And I, and I say that as, a, as a, a jokingly, but I mean it. I wish they had stopped and like recognized how serious this could be. And again, I know that a lot of us relate to this. A lot of members of the media relate to it. Um, I remember when Sanjay came on CNN and said, this is a pandemic. And I was like, what, what does that mean? How serious is this? You know, We all had a moment individually where it clicked, some earlier than others. But it's remarkable that Fox's management was taking those steps, getting ready for this possibility, uh, installing home studios and things like that. While at the same time on the air, stars on Fox were saying things like, this is the best time to take a, take a trip. Um, or maybe this is a bioweapon created by North Korea and China. Right? Like, there were those crazy things being said on air. At the same time, management was trying to prepare for the worst. And I think
0: you talked about in the book, show sort of emphasizes how duplicitous the, the coverage on on Hannity's show was, in, in my estimation, is that Hannity doesn't work in the studio. He he works
1: from home. He, he, doesn't, he hasn't been in the studio in forever. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you a funny story about that. I was going to open my book with that fact because it's not well known. Um, I was gonna open pre-pandemic. This was gonna be the start of hoax for Ben Wingman. It was gonna be the night of Trump's impeachment in the house. And Hannity was at his mansion on Long Island. He didn't wanna be bothered to do the show live. So he pre-taped his show on the biggest night of the year. He just phoned it in, pre-taped it in his studio in the basement, and went off with his family. Um, and I can understand the incident, I guess, of wanting to be with your family. I guess it was a bad night for him. The president's been impeached. Bad news. But I thought it was so galling that Hannity could just tape his show in his basement and go on with his life. You know, the Fox News division in D.C. would, would have loved to be on live. So that was going to be the open of my book. And then when the pandemic changed everything, I realized well, gosh, Hannity having a home studio all of a sudden seems like an asset, seems like a smart thing. You know, it was easier for him to stay on the air. Uh, so I ended up changing it and opening with Elmhurst and what was happening in the hospitals. But, uh, but I, I, do, I do think that idea of Hannity, Tucker Carlson, these other stars really being removed from their audience, um, I think is important to recognize. You know, and, and look, obviously television anchors tend to to make more money than the average American. There's all sorts of class bias that's baked into television news. But it's especially extreme for Hannity and Tucker. Tucker has his own island. He takes a boat to go do his show some nights when he's in Maine. Like it's that kind of divide between his rhetoric and the reality that I think viewers deserve to know about.
0: Yeah. So let's you, you raise Tucker Carlson. Uh, 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 we haven't talked about him um, he's Were you not
1: with Tucker on crossfire. Yeah, I was on with Tucker.
0: Uh, I was on with Tucker a lot. Um, and I, 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 I liked him. Uh, I have to say I liked him during the day. He, he was, you he's know, smart he, guy. Was a, yeah. he was a likable, he was a likable guy, smart. I don't know. I, I, I told you before, my dad used to always say, how can you call somebody smart who gets the answers to every major question wrong? Um, which is how I viewed Tucker's analysis of it. But how does Tucker fit in? Because he's not quite Hannity. They compete with one another. And maybe you could talk a little bit about who is Sean, who is Tucker in relation to Hannity, who is Tucker, and then maybe the business model, because business model drives a lot of behavior, and people don't necessarily understand how that, how that works. Ratings, dollars, comp- competition for talent, et cetera.
1: Yeah, well, Fox is a profit machine. I had talent there say to me, don't think of us as a TV network. Think of us as a profit machine. And then all of our choices make sense. All of our actions make sense. It's on a path to $2 billion in profits a year. Uh, Fox News is what keeps, us the, uh, keeps the hedges trimmed at Laughlin Murdoch's mansion. It's what keeps Rupert Murdoch's boat fueled up. Like It is critical. And in that context, Tucker Show, Sean's Show; these are the biggest profit-making shows because they're on in prime time. They have the biggest uh, biggest audiences. Tucker has an absolute alliance with Lachlan Murdoch, the head of Fox Corporation. Uh, even though Lachlan, um, you know, tries to stay out of Fox News, doesn't really is very very uninvolved. Uh, he is friendly with Tucker, and I think that helps to explain why Tucker gets away with so much. Uh, there are colleagues at Fox who think. Tucker Carlson plays into white nationalism, who goes on the air and gives racist rants. Uh, we've seen advertiser boycotts against Fox, against Tucker's white identity politics hour. Um, but Lachlan stands by him. doesn't want to seem to be giving in to the left wing. And, uh, and so that show goes on. And in some ways, Tucker actually has become a bigger star than Sean. I, I would, There's some nights Tucker has higher ratings than Sean. Um, certainly Tucker's show is buzzier than Sean. Tucker's kind of unpredictable. Surprising sometimes, uh, certainly provocative in lots of different ways, whereas Sean is doing much more of a Republican nightly news, alternative reality, pro-Trump. Tucker is at least a little bit um, uh, more unpredictable. So it's interesting to see how they, they come up with different kind of postures. Each show is a little bit different. And um, you know there are a lot of people who talk about whether Tucker will run for office, whether he would be a 2024 primary candidate. And I would not be surprised to see that. Yeah. So you tell a, 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 a an
0: interesting story about um, Carlson and um, coronavirus and his um, drive to Mar-a-Lago. And yeah. I think this speaks a little bit to the, what I think is the difference between Carlson and Hannity. So tell us about tell us about that episode.
1: Yeah. Hannity is, you know, frequently calling Trump. He's in touch with Trump all the time. Tucker's posture is very different. He doesn't call the White House, but, you know, if the White House calls him, he'll answer, which I think is a fair posture. I mean, if, if the you know, whenever a press aide calls me, I answer. If the president called me, I answer. So Tucker's posture is, you know, I'm not here to give advice to the president, but if he, if he calls, I'll answer. Um, first weekend in March, there's a White House aide who calls up Tucker and says, I know you're over on the other side of Florida. You have a home near Naples. Can you drive to Mar-a-Lago? Come talk to the president. He trusts you. He needs to hear you. Um, because you are taking the virus more seriously than than he is. And that's true. Tucker was taking coronavirus seriously early on. Maybe that's because of his anti-China xenophobia, but he was taking it seriously early on. So Tucker drives across the, the, the state of Florida, goes to Mar-a-Lago. It's his first time in Mar-a-Lago. He walks into this birthday party for Kimberly Guilfoyle. There's all these Fox people there, all these White House aides there. Tucker ends up having a one-on-one with Trump trying to talk some sense into him, into Trump, about the virus. And, and you know, you mentioned Bob Booger earlier. It is true that, Tr- that Trump had been warned and had his information, but Trump was still engaging in denialism. He was still downplaying the disease publicly. Uh, I think Tucker tried to talk some sense into him. It didn't work right away, um, but within a week, Trump did change his tune. So, you know, who do you give credit to that for? I don't know. But it's notable that, you know, Fox star gets in the car, drives to Mar-a-Lago trying to help the president uh, help the country. And I I think we're still seeing that today in various ways. Um, You know, different commentators on Fox know that the president's watching and they try to get through to him. And I, I would argue they don't always succeed, but they do try through the TV. And that just speaks to the president's television obsession. That, that that might be the best way to get through to him.
0: Yeah, so two things. I want to go back to Tucker in a minute, but but that raises with me something I meant to ask you earlier, which is describe what executive time means
1: in, in the White House. Right. We hear
0: that term a lot.
1: Right, it's on his internal schedule. He'll say executive time, which, which really means it has time to watch TV, to call his friends. Uh, it's when he's watching hours of Fox with a DVR, fast-forwarding through the ads, fast-forwarding through the non-Trump segments, that's how he's able to watch six plus hours a day of Fox News, as well as some CNN and NBC and ABC. I mean, you know, you, you got to give him credit. He does. He does get a diverse media diet. He just doesn't trust what he's hearing on those other channels. But the, the, the TVs they there
0: in, in, in his in the residence. They're in the hallways. They're in the Oval Office. They're in the kitchen.
1: He, 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 tell us about it. Yeah, he has that really great DVR that allows you to hit pause. In one room and then go downstairs and keep watching in the other room it's called the genie um and it is very cool i mean it, it is like state-of-the-line dvrs so you can you know record multiple channels at once um, multiple programs at once and fast forward all through them rapidly like that is a nice perk of the office i guess
0: i guess but so <laughs> back to Tucker, and then and then we'll move forward and then, then there's a batch of questions that are coming in yeah. and i know you've got a hard stop at seven so the, the one other thing besides Carlson driving to Mar-a-Lago to talk to Trump about the seriousness of coronavirus, Tucker has a role to play in um, Iran policy.
1: And this is an amazing um, story, yeah. That's a yeah.
0: really engaging story. So um, I'd love for you to tell us it.
1: Well, I think it's another example of this Fox News fixation where Tucker's on the air. He's a dove. He's advising against uh, any action against Iran. The US is uh, trying to figure out what to do because Iran shoots down one of the US drones. Tucker's on the air saying, don't do it, Mr. President. This is not why the voters elected you. And, uh, and, and you know, others are saying, go ahead, do it. You need to, you need to retaliate. Um, Trump says that the US is gonna respond. We're locked and loaded or cocked and loaded, whatever he said that day. And, uh, and yet he calls Tucker and wants to hear Tucker's voice and wants to hear Tucker's uh, recommendation. And Tucker says the same thing to him that he said on, on TV, which is, don't do it. It's not whether I was elected you. Tucker said to one of his friends afterwards, Trump just needs to be reminded of who he is and who what he believes in. And so that was the night that Trump had tweeted out, We're, we are cocked and loaded, uh, but he caught off the strike. Uh, and look, it's not just thanks to Tucker, but I had a staffer at Fox say to me, you know, if I had to choose between Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, who's going to save the country, I would choose Tucker. And I know that's an exaggeration, but there is some truth to the idea that these Fox stars have a responsibility that they never signed up for, that they were never elected for. Um, They just happen to be on this channel that the president's addicted to.
0: Yeah, and and it may have cost the national security advisor his job.
1: Yeah, look, I think John Bolton was hired largely thanks to Sean Hannity and was fired probably thanks to Tucker Carlson. You know, Trump is getting different intel from different stars about what to do, what to believe, and ultimately, you know, this is about a poisoned information diet. Um, it's it, it. Sometimes I think it's funny; I laugh at it sometimes. But deep down inside, it's something that's broken about our information structure that the Trump White House is led around by Fox.
0: Yeah, and and it seems from the book you you detail it um, uh, uh, repeatedly how Fox is being used. As a, uh, a way for Trump to audition people,
1: Morgan Ortega is 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 a is
0: an interesting story. Okay. This Is a good
1: example because she she went from being a Fox commentator to a State Department spokesperson. And uh, when when I wrote a story saying Fox commentator goes to the State Department, she was kind of pissed off. She was like, No, yeah, I have real credentials. Like this this is what I was doing for the government. This is what I've been doing. You know, I have all these impressive titles." But the truth is she was hired because she was on Fox. Trump looked at the TV, saw her on TV, told Bill Shine, go and hire her. So even though you have the great resume, even though you have the impressive credentials, it still comes down to the president seeing you on TV sometimes.
0: Yeah. And and we saw that with with um, Robert Ray, a friend who I wrote many articles for CNN.com during the impeachment, a smart, serious lawyer. Auditioning, in in a sense, un, unbeknown to him in a way, but auditioning to be count impeachment counsel um, in the will of the Senate because he uh, saw on on television.
1: Yeah, I'm pulling up that line from 281. I really like it because Robert Ray said this on TV. He said to Maria Bartiromo, "Thank you. If not for you, I don't know that I would have come to the president's attention." And, and he was right. It was going on Maria's show. It was getting recommended by Maria that helped him get on the president's legal team. And Fox served as the legal defense. I mean, remember when the impeachment inquiry started and there were all these stories um, that reporters wrote that said the White House doesn't have a war room. You know, in the Clinton years, there was a war room for impeachment, but Trump doesn't have a war room. And I kept thinking to myself, he doesn't need a war room. He has Fox. Like he has a war room on television. That's what's changed in America is that there are these two competing realities, these two competing streams of information, and Fox is providing that war room to the president.
0: Right. And, and, and if you deviate from the message, ask Judge Napolitano, um, what
1: happens? What, what happens there? And this is a sad story because this is about, you know, the top legal analyst on Fox who gets sidelined because he's speaking out against Trump. He is calling out Trump for criminality, saying that the president uh, has committed impeachable crimes, uh, offenses, that is. And as a result, Napolitano sees his airtime start to shrink. Um, not entirely, but, you know, he wasn't on during the big impeachment coverage the way that Jeffrey Tubin was, for example, his his counterpart at CNN. And that and just goes to show Fox viewers don't want to hear the bad news. They don't want to hear from commentators who are saying that the president's in trouble. They'd rather hear this Pollyannish positive propaganda. Yeah. So we, I'm going to turn
0: to some of the um, listeners' questions, but one of the the, the, the questions, there are two, two questions that that are, I think, really important questions. The first one I think you've sort of answered, which is, if Biden wins, what happens? And I, I think you've sort of said they revert to what they once War, which is the anti democrat network but but tell us what you how you see that plays out biden Biden gets elected does Trump set up his own um, competing uh, network to fox does he join fox what is the what is the content? a Fox pivot to that it can't now be rah-rah Trump. How, how, how does that play out in the newsroom as, as yeah, you
1: see? Maybe it? he tries to launch a network, but I'm skeptical. I think it's very hard to launch a TV network from scratch. Newsmax and One America News are showing how hard it is. Newsmax has been on the air for years, offering an alternative Fox News, and yet it only has 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 viewers, even at key times a day. It's interesting because Trump's going on Newsmax in an hour. He has an interview with Greg Kelly. That show gets 50,000 viewers. So why is Trump going on a show that has such a small audience? Well, people might say he wants to have an alternative to Fox. But Fox is a monopoly. There's no way getting around Fox if you're, if you're a Republican Party uh, leader. So uh, will he turn to a network? Maybe. Will he get a radio show? I think a radio show is a cool idea because it's easier. It's not easier than TV. It's different. You don't have to get made up every day. Um, you know, I, I don't know. And I don't think anybody knows. I don't think he knows what, what that post-presidency looks like. Um, but I think Fox goes on humming no matter what, you know, they lost Megyn Kelly, Bill O'Reilly got pushed out, Ro- Roger Ailes was fired, um, Greta Van Susteren left, all these stars left Fox in 2016 and 2017, and the network did not miss a beat. The network is so much bigger than its stars. And if you consider Trump to be one of their stars, which I do, they'll just keep on humming along.
0: Yeah, and 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 revert back to maybe what they were uh, in the Obama years, which Obama is… Years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting too. We talked about the 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 nature of the talent at 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 Fox who understand him. Mean, if Hannity says privately, Trump is 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 expletive crazy, Um right. but yet on on air he's he's a, a, a cheerleader. Part of the thing I think that you've just rattled off names: Greta and 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 Megan and 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 Shep uh, Smith. Well, he's landed now a little bit, but. Those guys, when they leave Fox, don't really have the same portability that you leave the New York Times and, and people are, are knocking on your door. Someone leaves ABC News, CNN is knocking on the door. You leave Fox having been part of that, um,
1: I don't know, opinion TV. Uh, it's an alternative reality. You're less marketable. I mean, look, Fox. Uh, one of Fox's early morning anchors left. And he popped up on Newsmax, which, again, doesn't have a big audience. Um, you see Megyn Kelly has had a very hard time since leaving Fox. There are not a lot of success stories about people who leave Fox News. Um, it's hard to get other jobs.
0: Yeah, so, they, so that, that, that's, that's where they sit. So they return to being the anti-Democrat station. We'll see what happens to Trump. But, but most fundamentally, from a, from a media critic standpoint, my yes. view is, oh, you brought your attorney with you.
1: She, she, she just, she snuck in here. I'm sorry. She's, she, she's desperately needed to see what's going on. These are my friends on the webcast. Is that okay? I'll be done in a few minutes. <laughs> is that okay? I, you, can, you actually, you can watch here. I'm gonna keep talking. Okay, you can, watch.
0: You can stay on. You're, you're much, much, much handsomer than your. Than but that guy to the text text. Text. Why? Why what? Why I cannot hear
1: them? Oh, because they're talking in my ears. Is that okay? Okay. do you want to watch Peppa? Yeah. yeah, let's 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 cue up a little Peppa. It's a lot better than the stuff she used to watch on YouTube, these random videos. I much prefer these animations. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: at least they're like professionally produced. Me. I mean, um by
1: one. Okay, two minutes. Um but Michael, you're getting at this what happens after, right? And there's what happens to Trump, but there's also what happens to Fox. And yeah, I think I it is more sort of an anti-democrat channel. It's about going against Biden. In the Obama years, they described themselves as you know the voice of the opposition. And I think that's what it'll be again. It'll be the voice of the opposition to Biden if Biden's elected, right? But the thing, the the the, the other more fundamental
0: question, as as the media observer that you are, I think right. my my personal view is the way Fox evolved from a, sort of a news station to an opinion station. Yeah. They dragged all the other networks there that. On our on our air on CNN, Lemon and 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 Cooper and Cuomo, they're all giving opinions. I mean, they 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 spend a long time with with in 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 a monologue. On on uh, the Rachel Maddow show, is is essentially a monologue. I don't I don't know if she has guests anymore. Can <laughs> can we can we pull
1: back from that, it, or is that the future. Well, I seen in, yeah, I, I think we've seen cable news more broadly as this move toward point of view, personality, one big story at a time. And obviously, Trump is usually the big story. And I think that's partly because of the, the, the Internet and mobile phones, meaning your phone has every headline ever right in the palm of your hand. So CNN has to do something different. This is just my impression of the media world. Like CNN has to be something different. Because headline news is no longer, headline news service is no longer effective or or desired. And I think what we see with these monologues with Cuomo and others, it's an attempt to make sense of all the noise and get to the news. And I know that people say it's opinionated. Well, there's a lot of BS out there that has to be called out. When Trump lies about voter fraud, we need to call it out. And I think the best way to do it is sometimes these monologues that are straight to camera, that are calling BS. I don't think those are the same as what Fox is doing. I think Fox is mostly operating in prime time in a fantasy land narrative, um, mostly covering up Trump's scandals, mostly focusing on, on invented, invented stories, like unmasking, which the Washington Post says now turned out to be nothing. But Fox obsessed about it for, for months and months and months. Um, here's the best example of, of why I think they're different. Hannity tells his viewers that journalism is dead, that the news is fake, that you shouldn't trust the media. Rachel Maddow, yes, she does commentator commentaries, but she tells viewers to buy local newspapers, support local news, subscribe to digital outlets. Uh, she brings on reporters to interview them, so I think that's a pro journalism position. Whereas Hannity is this anti journalism position, and I think I just think they're fundamentally different, partly for that reason. Mm-hmm. It's a good point. Is that persuasive at all, or is that total? Yeah, you know, no, it's, <laughs> it, it,
0: it, it's great. There, there's there's a there's a a, a question in. here. In here, which is an interesting question, which is how the powers that be at Fox allow uh, Wallace sort of to 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 be there, because he's like the counterpoint. Um, he has yeah. a tough interview with Trump. He he yeah. he tries to control him during the um, debate. His Sunday morning show is you know as. Legitimate a news show as the other Sunday morning shows. How how is he surviving there?
1: Because he's, he's the outlier. Yeah, he's the exception to the rule, and he's he is. And then that's a very valuable thing to be at Fox. It's very valuable to be the exception. Um, I get an email from Fox News PR every night. I love this email. I wish other networks and other news outlets did this. They put all the links uh, from that day, all the stories they want to make sure I've seen uh, before I write my nightly newsletter. I think it's a really smart PR strategy, you know, because they're, they they know I'm not going to link to everything. They know I might ignore all those links sometimes, but they want me to see all the press they generated that day, all the good news stories. And what they really focus on that nightly email to me, and they do this other to reporters too, what they really focus on is the news division, Chris Wallace, uh, Brett Baer, the correspondents, they want to show off their news talent. So it makes perfect sense that Chris is there manning the fort. It's just that he is being squeezed out. There are fewer and fewer hours of news and more and more hours of propaganda. He always says he hasn't watched the opinion shows, but I think that is a big mistake. He needs to watch the opinion shows. He needs to know what's going on the rest of the time on Fox. Um, but I think that's why he's there. He's an exception to the rule and really valuable.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. During my tenure, uh, during the my tenure of the Mueller investigation, impeachment investigation, when I wasn't on air or preparing, I used to watch. St- fox because i wanted to i wanted to hear the counter narrative i wanted yes. to understand why when i said I- impeachable they said otherwise and and right. and like there's a lot to there's a lot to be learned um about your opponents if you will or adversary or another point of, of view they don't have to be opponents or adversaries yeah, that's why i'm
1: always saying you got to watch fox you don't you can't understand america if you're not watching fox or, or understanding what they're saying on the air, um, because it is about these alternative realities. What, what I would argue is we should have a healthier Fox News, uh, a version that has standards and practices that has checks and balances. You know, at CNN, if I have a sensitive story, it has to go through multiple editors, and legal let to go all, all this vetting. It can take hours, it can be annoying sometimes, but it makes the product better. Fox needs that same kind of, vigor, of, of rigor and vetting because it would make the quality, make the product better.
0: Yeah, I, I want to. We we've just got two or three minutes left, and I know you've got this hard stop. But well, it's but, only that to
1: feed Sonny dinner. That's why. yeah, so that's yeah. A yeah
0: that that's a, that's a hard <laughs> stop. That's a hard stop. Um, one thing I said at the outset when we started talking about Carlson that I I liked Carlson in, in 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 the day. I don't like his show. I don't like his 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 political or editorial point of view. It's 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 reprehensible but and you called him a very smart guy. One thing about Carlson that 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 interests me is what's going on in 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 the UK at the moment is this extradition trial of Julian Assange. The 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 the, the WikiLeaks um fellow who was pulled out of the embassy and uh, essentially kidnapped over to the to the UK. He's in uh, you know sort of Custody in a way that the UN is called almost torture-like. It's it's not covered uh, on CNN that I've seen or MSNBC that I've seen. It's on you can see it on Democracy Now or The Intercept. But Carlson covers it. He talks yeah, about yeah. he talks about Assange. How do you how do you what do you think? How, how do you? It? i
1: say his show is surprising and unpredictable. And he doesn't always take this obvious pro-Trump position. Sometimes he takes liberal positions, progressive positions, libertarian positions. Uh, and, and it makes the show interesting. Um, you know, at, at the same time, I understand a lot of people find him just totally offensive and gross. But he does bring up stories that aren't getting covered elsewhere. And that is valuable. I think you know, we're going to look back at the Trump years and say there were 100 stories that would have, should have been getting more attention were it not for this crisis we're living through. It is a crisis. I don't, I, we don't call that often enough. We're in a crisis. This White House, this dysfunctional White House led by a man who acts like a madman, um, you know, it does crowd out so many stories that are deserving of attention. I there's no doubt about that.
0: Yeah, it, it's interesting. And, and, and maybe in a sort of a final question, because again, I want to make sure that um, you're not charged with any sort of uh, child neglect. Um, <laughs> that, that, Again, from, from your perspective as, a, as yeah. a, an astute observer of the media, where, where, what is Walter Cronkite looking down on us saying to himself? How, how are the, the, the yeah. Edward Morrows, the Walter Cronkites of the world viewing this? And, and, and if they had a magic wand to wave, um,
1: where would they take us, do you think? I've never been asked that before. I love the question. I think number one, they're going to say, how are there thousands of channels and millions of websites? This information world is is more chaotic than anyone could have imagined in the sixties or seventies. Um, the internet has changed everything. There is an information war going on and there's so much disinformation and propaganda out there. Um, and, and I think what I think Amuro would say is we need the CBS news and the CNNs of the world more than ever to digest and get through all the crap and tell us what is true and real and important, right? We need newsrooms to prioritize and to verify and to curate for the rest of us because the information world is so chaotic. We need to know what is real and what is a hoax. And a lot of these opinion talk shows, they're not trying to be rooted in reality, they're trying to score partisan points. And that can be confusing and chaotic and just sow doubt as opposed to help people know what is true and help get people to the truth. I think what we all have to do, when, when I'm inside an organization like CNN, we try to guide people to the highest quality news there is, which doesn't always mean CNN, it might mean a magazine piece or a book, but we need to guide people to those trusted sources. Um, and I, I hope that when I write about the dangerous distortion of truth, it's about, you know, let's, let's lift up the truth tellers at Fox along with the truth tellers at CNN and encourage more of that and less of the propaganda. Um, By the way, I know that there are more questions in the chat. So let me mention uh, my email address is uh, bstelter at gmail.com. Always happy to answer questions or get pitches. Uh, um, I'm easy to find bstelter at gmail.com.
0: Yeah. To to just put a period on the end of that sentence, it's interesting. Maybe the the next guest we should have on this show is is Pete Buttigieg because his book is called
1: called Truth.
0: Yes. (laughs) Trust or Truth or whatever. Trust.
1: Trust. And you know what he's been doing? He's been going on Fox. And he's been going on as this Democrat, going into the Fox, you know, slaying the dragon. And he's doing a brilliant job of it. Um, we need more of that. We need more of crossing those lines, not less.
0: Yeah. So that one can actually determine what is hoax and what is yeah. trustworthy. Yeah. Brian Selter, it, it, you're wonderful. Thank you. That said, is produced by Compro and the Museum of Public Relations. The Music by Sam Post. Please let us know your thoughts by writing to us at thatsaidzeldin at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. For That Said, I'm Michael Zeldin.